Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Are you angry because people have hurt you and you now want justice? This series is devoted to helping Christ followers everywhere find a simplified life in Christ. But in having a simplified life, we would be remiss if we didn't discuss how each of us must choose a different lifestyle than justice-seeking if we're going to have peace. Maybe our buckets are empty of the Holy Spirit because we're filling them with bitterness and rage for being wrong. In today's message, we're going to talk about how one of the biggest drains on our lives is unresolved conflict. So if you're finding yourself hurt, angry, and offended, begin praying that God would lead you through this storm of emotional hurting. This message is entitled, Simple Forgiveness. Have you ever been sinned against? And you can't live in this world very long without being wronged. Sooner or later, someone, somewhere, will sin against you. And in the many years I've been in the ministry, I've, I've had countless people pour their hearts out to me and explain how they have been mistreated, victimized, and offended. I've heard stories that I will never forget. Stories of betrayal and heartache and pain. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the things in our lives that drain our energy buckets. Holes that need to be plugged to ensure that we're living lives that are full of the Holy Spirit. However, there are very few things in our lives that can drain us like relational problems. Sometimes it's amazing how grossly we underestimate the cost of living with tattered and torn relationships. We think that we can live our lives unaffected by conflicts with people and you know, if we just simply move on from these people, then we're going to be okay. However, the truth is, is that relational problems steal energy from us. They hang over us like a dark gray cloud. But we feel it is so much easier just to leave the broken relationships broken. Because it'll take too much energy to resolve things. But it's much more time efficient to heal a relational rift than it is to let it linger or avoid it altogether. Translation, we cannot live simplified lives without attending to broken relationships. I think nobody understood the cost of broken relationships better than Jesus. Jesus forgave those who wronged him. Well, you know, when Jesus was being executed, he wasn't just hung on a cross. He was tortured for hours. The Romans were professional killers, cold-hearted executioners who were very good at what they did. They could make an execution last days, even weeks. Before they hung Jesus on the cross, they tore his flesh with a special whip called a cat of nine tails. And it had little bits of metal and bone and rock interweaved into it. So they would use this device and literally rip a person's flesh from their body. With this device, they whipped the front and back of Jesus so badly that he was beyond recognition. They beat him. They kicked him. They ridiculed him, they spit on him, and they humiliated him. And when he was upon the cross, they sledgehammered large spikes into his hands and into his feet. Now, crucifixion was a, um, it was a special brand of torture, and it, and it usually lasted for several days. Um, it was a tactic used to turn away rebellion from anybody entering the city. Basically, the Roman messages were, was like this. Uh, this could happen to you if you cause trouble in our city. However, Jesus, he was beaten and tortured so badly. Scripture tells us that he didn't survive days. 
He only survived six hours on the cross before his heart gave out. So for six hours, Jesus hung from a cross after being beaten mercilessly, fighting for breath. He was bloodied and he was broken. But even in the midst of all of that, Jesus forgave. I want to read Luke 23, 32-34. This is what the uh, Gospel of Luke says. It says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. In fact, this one verse may have changed millions of lives. Jesus not only forgave, he forgave while he was being sinned against. In the midst of it all, beaten, wounded, naked, naked, humiliated, and exposed, Jesus forgave. Now, this is, um, this is powerful. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, or while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. This gesture of forgiveness was not without effect. We know that in the book of Acts, several of these priests repented and they came to Christ. At, at the cross, at the crime scene, one of Jesus' executioners, a centurion, he says, surely this man was the Son of God. How could he forgive? Which tells us that forgiveness is very powerful. Did you know that you can tell a lot about a person, where their spiritual maturity is, by how they behave, especially when they're being wronged? It even comes out in our prayers. This week, I spent some time reading and listening to the lyrics of the country song, I Pray For You by Jaron and the Long Road to Love. And this is what it says. It says during the chorus, it says, I pray your brakes go out going down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you up, uh, knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high and your engine stalls. I pray that all your dreams never come true. Just know that wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. Now, it's a cute song, and it's funny, but it's also very, very sad at the same time because that's where many of us are, maturity-wise, when we've been wronged. Your prayers provide a unique window into the true condition of your soul. In Jesus' life, even at the time of his death, Jesus valued people, including those who were crucifying him. Now, this is important because we live in a world that's filled with wrongdoing. It's filled with wrongdoers. They're everywhere. I'm one of them. And so are you. It's human nature to put ourselves before others. And when we do, we often wrong others. Bill Hybels, author of the book Simplicity, uh, Uncluttering Your Soul, <clears throat> he offers three categories for wrongdoing that I believe can help us move into the forgiveness process and forgive the way that Jesus forgave. We're going to need God's discernment to be able to assess our situations and determine which of these three categories our offenses fall under. Uh, but it is important that we assess our lives and see if there's any unforgiveness in our heart. 
So first up, there are the minor offenses. This is a category one offense. It's minor. Sometimes um, in talking with people, I've, I've heard enough to know whether or not something falls into the minor offense category. So for example, I once talked with a student that was so mad at their parents for grounding them. Consequently, that student got pulled over for going 20 miles over the speed limit and um, wasn't where they were supposed to be in the first place. And now they felt like they had been wronged by their parents because their parents took their keys away from them and grounded them for a month. I mean, how could they do this? Now, Bill Hybels has a classic response when dealing with people who fall under a Category 1 offense. It's just one word. Really? Really? You're mad about all this? Really? He says that usually he runs into people who fall into a Category 1 offense, and he uses this word to help them see how silly they're being. Dude, this is trivial. Really? You're mad about that? Really? Most of the time, he says it works, and and people realize that they're being pretty petty. He warns that also we need to consider that um, if this is a Category 1 offense, it can do a lot of uh, damage. you know, just just in, in ourselves. It doesn't hurt anybody else. It just hurts us if if we, we refuse to let it go. But it is important that um, that we need to consider if we're going to use that word against somebody and say, really, really, it needs to be a Category 1 offense because it in itself can cause a greater offense if we're not careful. So he says, be careful how you use that word. But in 1 Corinthians 3.15, it says, um, it is not rude. Talking about love. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. So in essence, Christ followers should have the resilience in dealing with people that we over, you know, that, that, that we come in contact with. Um, we, we need to overlook the everyday injustices. We need to understand that, that in the moments when things don't go our way or something isn't said the way that we want it said, the condition of our hearts are revealed for everybody to see. It's not something that we can hide from other people. If you stir up your heart, the stuff in your heart is going to come out. So when we start taking off the earrings and we're rolling up our sleeves and, and, and you know we're ready to fight, we're showing the world where our maturity level is at. We show the world how we deal with these things. So how do you react with a Category 1 offense? When somebody comes and says something to you that's kind of nasty, do you easily, easily overlook it or, or do you easily forgive? Or do you do just the opposite? Do you play the victim? Do you stand on your rights and let everybody know that you've been slighted? A Category 1 offense can do a great job in revealing your heart. However, sometimes, after some investigating, I find that when I make a big deal about a Category 1 offense, I find that it's just piled on top of a legitimate issue that needs some attention. In other words, there's something else that's going on. Maybe I store up a bunch of Category 1 offenses because there's a Category 2 offense, which we'll talk about in just a second. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe it has nothing to do with the other person and it has everything to do with me. Um, Maybe it's my ego that's damaged. Maybe it's my shortcomings uh, were exposed. Maybe it's an unrealistic expectation. Whatever it is, it usually has to do with pride. So if I have a minor offense happen to me and I just cannot let it go, maybe... Maybe I'm just being prideful. Whatever it is, minor offenses serve the purpose of showing me the areas in my life that I need to grow. 
Whenever I'm easily offended, it shows me that I'm, I'm spiritually or emotionally depleted. My bucket is empty. Now, if you're too easily offended, maybe you should join with me in a slight alteration of Jesus' prayer. Maybe we should pray, Father, forgive me, for I know not what I do. Now, I believe that unforgiveness, especially unforgiveness in the category one offenses, isn't weight worth carrying around. It's just not worth it. Sometimes we carry around baggage for trivial issues and we waste our energy just just remembering it, just hashing over it again in our mind. We don't need to sweat the small stuff. It's not that big of a deal. Simplify your life and let go of the Category 1 offenses. You may say, well, what if it's not a minor wound? Maybe it's not a minor offense. Maybe it's it's a Category 2 offense, which is a, a legitimate wound. Category two offenses are are a little bit more complex. These kind of wrongdoings happen to each of us eventually. It's the consequence of living in a sinful, fallen world. And it's much more than just a minor irritation. This is betrayal that we're talking about. Whenever somebody tells Bill Heibel about an injustice that falls into a category two offense, his response is always the same. He doesn't respond with a, really, you're mad about that? Yeah, I'm mad about that. That's a legitimate wound. He says the way he responds to it is like this. I am I am so sorry that happened to you. Now again, it's important that we use discernment when talking to people about offenses that we don't mistake a Category 1 offense with a Category 2 offense. If it's a legitimate wound, these people are hurting. Now whenever talking with people that have Category 2 offenses, it almost always moves around to how you know they want to seek justice. If you're talking with people and they they say, this has happened to me, how can we make this right? I think this is from an Old Testament teaching that that we should take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Basically, we need to return to others what they have subjected us to. However, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 38 and 39, you've heard that it it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other as well. Now, I think Jesus knew the trouble with the eye-for-an-eye mentality. The trouble is, is that it doesn't give us the depth of satisfaction that we hope it will. Even if you get complete justice, it's still a legitimate wound. Focusing all of our energy on revenge-seeking does not lead to a simplified life. Justice-seeking doesn't lead to a life of peace. So according to Jesus, we must come to terms with what has happened to us, and we must forgive. This means that we face what has happened and we eventually release our anger at the person who wrongs us. We let them go. Not for their sake. I mean, this is impossible. They hurt me. How can I just let them go? They get away with it? It's not for their sake. It's for our sake. However, we as Christians must be careful not to distribute this message that, you know, I've heard numerous uh, stories from victims of injustice that, um, that after this offense has happened to them, that they were subjected and victimized again by well-meaning Christians. They were told, well, if you love God, you would just forgive them already. And this doesn't do anything but heap guilt and, and frustration and even more anger onto people that have already been hurt. It, guilt, it just heaps shame on an already broken heart. The truth is, is that forgiveness is in God's timing. 
And it's the only thing. God's timing is the only thing that brings healing. We can't press the issue and expect someone to forgive on our timetable. It must be according to God's timing. Again, God's timing is everything. Sometimes we get stuck on justice seeking and it causes us more heartache in the end, mostly for ourselves. But Jesus offered words on how to resolve conflict between people. He says in Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So in this verse, Jesus gives us some insight on how we can refuse to allow legitimate wounds to drain us from a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit. He says in this verse that we must go. If there is a relational problem in your life, no matter who caused it, you must go. We, um, we have to take the first step. As Christ followers, that's what Jesus would do. He would take the first step. So if we're going to follow Christ, we must take the first step. We must go. We must initiate a reconciliation attempt. We shouldn't sit by the phone and wait for the wrongdoer to call us. No, if there's any kind of relational breakdown, Jesus says for us to go. But he also says, go alone. Jesus adds in this verse, just between the two of you. Now, there's a principle that's that's taught in Scripture that everyone in this room is guilty of from time to time. It's not just a principle, it's a sinful principle. It's called triangulating. In essence, we want other people to be on our side, and so we go to uh, another person. Triangulating triangulating is is, uh, when a person, A, is, is angry at person B, and instead of talking to person B about it, they include person C. And now person C has nothing to do with the situation uh, between persons A and B, but, but now they have been included in the conflict. And they can't do anything about it. So it just, it just creates more problem. And when you go alone, it communicates that you're not trying to cause further wounds and humiliation by including person C. So Jesus says we must go. We must go alone. And he also says we must go to reconcile the relationship. Whenever you go to someone who has wounded you, you must do so in a spirit of reconciliation, not in a spirit of justice-seeking. <clears throat> Have you ever had somebody come to you and, and you could tell instantly that they didn't want reconciliation, that they wanted a pound of flesh, they wanted your head on a platter? And that's not the way it's supposed to go down. But Bill Heibel says he believes that 90% of relational breakdowns can be healed by correctly applying this one verse. 90%. You may be thinking, well, not, not mine. Well, Jesus even offers up a follow-up appointment if the initial meeting doesn't go as planned. He says take one or two people along so that they can mediate. But most of the times, things can be worked out when following the spirit of reconciliation. Jesus also says, We must go, we must go alone, we must go to reconcile the relationship, but he says we must go now. He says in Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So if God is communicating to you that there is a relational rift in your life, get up and go right now. This message is recorded online, and you can listen to it later. Uh, you can pause it. You can come back right now. Go right now. 
You can come back to this later. Why now? Because Jesus wants you to experience a life of restored relationships, not broken ones. Carrying around baggage from broken relationships, it steals away peace and joy. But what if I went and the relationship couldn't be restored? Well, Jesus has some advice for that too. We must shake the dust off our feet and move on. He says if it can't be resolved, we must let it go. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control other people's responses. They might try to act justified for their actions for the rest of their lives. They might try to hurt you further. But if this happens, then move on and let it go. I have to pray this prayer on several occasions. God, just give me the courage to seek to work this out. Now, if the relationship cannot be restored, give God you know, your heart. Give God your anxiety. But if it can be restored, give God the glory. Jesus says if it can't be fixed, just let it go. Give God the glory. Rest in peace in knowing that you have done everything that you can do. But also there is a, um, a third category of offense. It's a category three offense. A life-shattering one. Thankfully, not everybody has to encounter these kinds of wrongdoings. And when I've heard, uh, from what I've heard being the pastor of the church, I know that many of our our brothers and sisters in our congregation have experienced a life-shattering offense. I have uh, gone to camp with kids just about every year we went. And every single year, one of these kids tells us about how they were physically, emotionally, and even sexually abused by their parents or by somebody else in their family. And, and I just... I stand with Bill Hybels on this one. There's just no words. There's just no words to... There's no magic words that you can say to help somebody in this. You know, it's not a, really, that's what you're mad about? Or, you know, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Because even that, I'm so sorry that happened to you, doesn't heal that person, doesn't help them move towards forgiveness. You just have to listen. People who have experienced these kinds of... um offenses know exactly what it's like to be tortured and afflicted when I was in India I um I heard a woman's testimony she stood up and wept she said um you know they had it translated to us she said that she used to be married but whenever she became a Christ follower and was baptized her husband was so angry at her that he left her <clears throat> all on her own, to try to fend for herself, which was very difficult for a woman to do in India. <clears throat> anyway, um, he went and contracted HIV. And then he came back and he gave it to her. And then he, he left her all over again. She was a victim of his hatred because of her decision to follow Christ. And she was now forced to die a slow, painful death as a young woman. There are no words 
to be said to people who have experienced a Category 3 offense. Bill Hybels tells a story about a young woman named Victoria Rivello, and she experienced a Category 3 offense. One night coming home from work, she was driving home, and a group of teenagers threw a 20-pound frozen turkey into oncoming traffic. This turkey smashed through her windshield and nearly broke every bone in her face. She was in a coma for weeks. And um, they caught who did it. He's a young man. Uh, he's, he's 18 years old, and his name was Ryan Cushing. And after several surgeries and months of recuperation, indescribable levels of pain and permanent scarring on her face, Victoria decided to attend the sentencing of this young man who had done this horrible thing to her. And the judge gave her permission to speak to the young man before he was, his sentence was carried out. And so she stood up in a packed courtroom, and this is what she said. She said, There is no room in my heart for vengeance, and I do not believe that a long, hard prison term would do you, me, or society any good. I truly hope that by demonstrating compassion and leniency that I have encouraged you to seek an honorable life. If my generosity will help you to mature into a responsible, compassionate, honest man whose graciousness is a source of pride to your loved ones and your community, then I will be truly gratified and my suffering will not have been in vain. So in a public courtroom, she forgave. So in effect, she said, Father, forgive him for he had no idea what he was doing. Now while listening to this grand gesture of forgiveness, Ryan, he broke down in the courtroom and wept. And the judge was so moved by her testimony that he sentenced Ryan to six months in prison and five years of probation instead of the maximum penalty of 25 years. And as Ryan was being led away, he stopped in front of her. And he just cried. And she grabbed him and she hugged him and she said, they just stood there and wept together. She later recounted that she was the last person who hugged him before he was taken away to prison. She did the hard work of forgiveness and it changed the trajectory of both of their lives. By God's grace, genuine forgiveness for Category 3 offenses is possible. And it's not a, a flippant, well, I forgive you while, while you're being wronged. That's not what we're talking about. That doesn't do anything that, but prevents a wrongdoer from feeling the full weight of what they have done. Jesus didn't offer a flippant, I forgive you. It was from his heart of hearts, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus wanted the world to experience redemption that comes from wholehearted repentance. Radical forgiveness, it is extremely powerful. It takes people's breath away. It causes people to ask, how could a person who has experienced that kind of pain and suffering and heartache forgive someone? It's normal to seek revenge. It's normal to seek justice. It's not normal to seek forgiveness. So how can people who have experienced this level of pain find it in their hearts to forgive? I believe it starts when we experience the forgiveness of our own sins through the sacrifice made by Jesus Christ. 
When we accurately understand the forgiveness of our shortcomings and our offenses towards God, the fact that we were the reason that Jesus went to the cross in the first place, we become empowered to choose radical forgiveness as well. When we're fully aware of our sinfulness and God's steps in forgiving us, it is impossible not to choose radical forgiveness. For a Christ follower, the only option we're left with is, you know, if we've been horribly wrong, horribly wronged is the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Rattle forgiveness is the power by which God displays himself to the world. Mostly because the world doesn't understand it and it wants to know how it is possible. Over the years, I've seen tragically wounded people choose forgiveness instead of bitterness, forgiveness instead of justice, forgiveness instead of revenge. And on every occasion, they have to circle back and they have to get their hearts right again. But they do the hard work and it pays off for them. We cannot allow unforgiveness to hold us captive. We can't allow it to rob us of time and energy that would be better spent in more meaningful pursuits. The sooner you pray a prayer of forgiveness and release those who have hurt you and seek reconciliation with these people, the sooner you can have a simplified life. So what category does your hurt fall into? Is it category one, two, or three? Is it something you just need to let go and move on? Is it something trivial? If so, examine your heart. Ask God to reveal to you why you feel that way. Is it an offense where you need to go to that person, that you need to go alone, you need to go and be reconciled, you need to go now, and if all else fails, you need to let it go? Or is it an offense where there are no words to help relieve you of your pain? Is it a burden where the only comfort that can lead you to forgiveness is God's presence and His time? Regardless of the category, we should know that God's purpose is to conform us into the image of His Son, and He uses suffering in His shaping process. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why did He allow me to endure such pain? Well, the Apostle Peter explains the answer, and so I'd like to conclude today's message on this verse. Why? 1 Peter 4.13 says, Be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the world. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.